Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions. It's an unfiltered view of your customer reality. In other words, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. True or false, timing is everything. True. As I'm looking at my Apple Watch counting down to 5 p.m., timing is everything. Ooh, you look at your Apple Watch for time. I look at mine for steps and the weather because (laughs) that's who I've become. Senior revenue leaders are no different. It's a never-ending stream of when decisions. When to roll out a strategic initiative, when to schedule SKO, when to pivot to a new revenue stream, slash market, slash messaging. You get the idea. However, more often than not, we make those decisions based on our own gut and guesswork. Timing can be considered an art and not a science. Well, until Daniel Pink came along. You know, busting myths with data is kind of our thing. And that's why Daniel Pink is headlining Celebrate, the Revenue Intelligence Summit. He's taking the stage to educate all of us on the science of timing and its impact on revenue. This will be a data pack session. I read his book a few years ago, To Sell as Human. And guess what? We're giving you the session free. He has an actual masterclass, but you have to pay for that. And this one is completely free. And we can't forget about the rest of the lineup. We have leaders from LinkedIn, Upwork, Hootsuite, Seismic, Gartner, and Sequoia ready to take the virtual stage. It is the revenue event of the year, and it's all happening on December 2nd. You can see the full speaker and session list at celebrate.gong.io. And in case you're thinking, what? Wait, I don't have a pen. Don't worry. We'll put the link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it. Put a little bit of detail about yourself and you'll be all signed up. And of course, we would absolutely love it if you shared with folks in your network, because this is something that all revenue professionals will get value from. We're heading into the holiday season. So who wouldn't like a little gift of Daniel Pink? So Daniel Pink and thousands of other revenue leaders are going to be there. Will you? I will be there. I'm actually presenting too. I'm no Dan Pink, but I'm okay. See you there. All right, Sheena, I am many things. I am not an actor. So what I am about to tell you is completely true and the most closest to real time as possible because it's happened seconds ago, maybe a minute ago, okay? Okay, tell me more. So we just got off of an interview with Peter Kim all about mentorship. And just now we were chatting, hey, how do we want to do the intro here? Do you want to talk about your mentors, how you mentee or that sort of thing? And you said, Sheena, do you want to talk about your mentors or how you mentor others? And I said, I don't really want to talk about me mentoring people. I don't want it to come across as like too self-serving here. I picked up my phone rudely while you were talking (laughs) to check my text. (laughs) And a woman I have been mentoring for about a year just texted me and said, just got a call from person's name, not going to say who. I got the job. I think I cried. Thank you for being an excellent mentor. Now, here's what happened. Here's an amazing story. I was I had an open marketing role this time last year. This gal 
interviewed for it and she wasn't right for the job, but I could tell she had crazy potential. And we ended up referring her to an SDR role. She got the SDR role. She's been hustling, hitting quota, leading by example. And for the last two sessions, we've been prepping her for the AE interview. So this was on Wednesday, a couple of days ago. She had the interview. I texted her today and I was like, hey, how do you think it went? She's like, I don't think I did that good. I'm bummed out. It didn't go well. And I was like, okay, I'm going to call you later. We'll talk about it. Just now she texts me and say that she got the job. Oh, wow. That is so amazing. What an amazing story. Oh, man. So I'm cool. really like crazy. The timing was unreal. And I was like, we have to just record this right now because I definitely won't be able to like reiterate it or, or recite it back. But yeah, well, congrats to her. Huge congrats. So proud of her. I'm going to give her a call right after this. But that's a long but hopefully interesting way to introduce today's interview, which is all about mentorship. So wow, how serendipitous was that? That really was. And um, I mean, maybe it, it must be true for you too. But I think part of what I really took away from our conversation with Peter was mentorship does not have to have a title. You do not have to think about it like I'm the mentor, you're the mentee, we have these regular meetings or whatnot. It's something that's almost more natural than that, where, you know, you have something special and you want to give it back out into the world in some way. And, um, you know, I think that's what I really enjoyed from our conversation that he's just really, really passionate about helping other people, giving back to people. They're not even his direct reports and he will seek it out proactively. Absolutely. Tons, tons of takeaways. I had, uh, I had my notepad out. I liked some of the main themes, which is like, lead by example, but in other words, like become the standard to hear what that means. That was really interesting. My personal favorite was when he was talking about how to go from manager, like a frontline manager to a senior leader and what that difference is and how you communicate differently. So we're all excited. It's 4.55 PM. So we're going to send you off into this interview. We're going to send off into the weekend and I hope you enjoy. Let's go hang out with Peter. Peter, it is four o'clock on a Friday, which is arguably the best time to record an interview on Reveal. So I want to say thanks for uh, spending some time with us before you jump into the weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. Honored to be here. You are the Chief Sales Officer at Relativity. Would you mind just taking a quick minute to just explain what you're responsible for, what you're doing over there, and if you want, what problem that Relativity solves? I've been with Relativity for uh, about three years now. It's a Chicago-based software company. We're in the broad categories in legal tech, and we are uh, our origin stories in the very specific area of uh, e-discovery. And so, uh, as a chief sales officer, I lead global sales, and so uh, help lead the sales process, drive revenue for the company. And I also, in my role as as chief sales officer, oversee revenue operations as well as sales development and sales engineering. Now, we brought you on and asked you what you want to talk about. And you said you were passionate about developing go-to-market leaders through mentorship. But before we get into that and some of the advice you're going to give, what was your first management job and what did it teach you about leadership? Technically, my first managing job was a Subway sandwich manager when I was 15, where I was entrusted with the keys to the kingdom and uh, opened up the store, managed the staffing you know, manage the register and, and counted all the cash down, if you will. And so that was actually my first management job. And it was, a, a, let's just say, um, a formative experience for me. But my first corporate professional experience is probably in 2002, where I think in typical fashion, I was a sort of young and ambitious individual contributor 
desperate to take a next step and managed a team of peers that I probably took on too early. So I spent a year as a manager of a sales team. It was sort of like an add-on product to the software company that I was working for. It was, you know, I had a core piece of technology and some add-on products. I managed the add-on team, spent a year managing my peers, left, went back to individual contributor uh, for another seven years until I felt more ready to lead again. I like that. Now, uh, I'm going to ask a question you can pass because it's your right to do so as our guest. But when you know, you mentioned, you know, hey, maybe I got into it a little early. Was there a, an event or something happened or maybe a realization where you kind of noticed, hey, maybe, you know, maybe I need to take a step back to take a step forward again? I, I reference it with actually great gratitude that it happened to me. I have a story of, you know, like, listen, like career and advancement, it's not all up and to the right. You know, it's, it's quite episodic. It's quite peaks and valleys. And that was absolutely a valley in the moment, but maybe a peak from my learning in my career. And so I think what it came down to, as I mentioned, I was an individual contributor ready for advancement. And for me, advancement was actually in title. And so as a person that looks at the optics of advancement, you look at what's the next thing. And the next thing is all the focuses. And what, what I've learned as a, as a professional that, that is really focused on developing to be a great leader, to, great, to be a great professional, it's not about the title, it's about the skills. And it's about the process. It's about really building the foundation. And I didn't have anyone in my life at the time that let me know that. And so left to my own devices as a 27-year-old kid, for that matter, I was so focused on the title and the stature and not necessarily the underpinnings of what it meant to be a good manager and effective manager and ultimately a great leader. And so uh, I, I sort of got to the end point without going through the journey. And that was the real realization uh, in practice. So, you know, uh, Devin, when I was going through it, I remember this moment where I was like really struggling and I looked at my wife like eight months in the job. I'm like, I don't think I'm good at my job. I don't think I like it. And it was like a real low point you know, because it was failure, but it wasn't really failure. It was just lack of preparedness and lack of understanding what my role was. And it was really inexperienced in other words. And so for me, I think it was a great lesson in reaffirming or reevaluating what was important. And I was missing building blocks, core essential skill sets that I felt like I need to have first as an individual before I led people. And so my choice to go back into individual contribution was just that, go back to school, learn some of the trade, understand what it means to be a great seller before I start leading people that I don't actually know what they do. And so uh, it was a really wonderful lesson and it absolutely prepared me better for round two for managing and leading people. And I, interestingly, in the same company, I became a player coach again in the same company, different role. And I was so much better as a player coach because of it. You know, the, the real life lesson there was patience, but not patience for patience sake, patience because it was such an amazing opportunity for me to really build the base and foundational skill sets that made me a more effective manager in the future. But it seemed like in that scenario, you were, it was a bit of your own self-realization and self-awareness um, that you realized you had to take a step back. I'm curious, like if there was a time either before or later in your life where it was a mentor that came in and helped guide you to a decision in, in your life. Absolutely. And, and I think in many ways, career journeys, professional journeys, there are those moments where there's that person that really was an inflection or an influence that's, that's sort of above the fray, right? That, that individual that 
changed, you know, I think of them as little inflection points. It like steered you in a direction and it hopefully put you in a trajectory that was positive and net, and a net benefit to you. And, and that happened actually in that company. So I spent 11 years at one software company. Um, it was frankly my first corporate job and I ended up spending 11 years there. It was um, really just great fortune, wonderful company. I started off as a tech support rep. It was the only job that I could get. I had, um, as I think about it, negative skills. I was a philosophy and religion major in college. I'd spent a year and a half being some, uh, after college being somewhat nomadic and traveling and uh, working in a mountain bike shop in Chicago. I literally had no skills to prepare me for the corporate life other than a little bit of interest to, and ambition to come out west. And I landed in San Francisco and a tech company hired me into their support team. Not that I ever dreamed of being in support, but I have a sort of propensity for problem solving. And I was like mildly technically adept. And so they hired me to, to like answer. I remember 30 calls a day. This is all like client server based software. This is pre-cloud. And I like was in a financial service software company talking to traders and portfolio managers about stuff that I'd never known before. And uh, I remember my manager, Toby Yoder, uh, someone I'm still, you know, acquainted with today. He was a sales guy that wanted to be a manager. And for some reason, the company said, you want to be a first time manager, go be a support manager. And so he became my manager. Now, Yodes, Yoder, you know, we got to, to know each other. He's like, you know what? You should go into sales. And I was like, nah, sales. I'm like, you know, like sales, like slinging stuff, like used car salesman sales. I'm like, that's not for me. I like client relationships, I like solving problems. And he did something that I'll never forget, which was he listened. He introduced me to then the head of uh, sales and the head of pre-sales consulting. And he showed me what great sales was by having me demystify for my own self uh, through the leaders of the time, what it meant to be a real effective sales leader. Because really great sales is not about doing something or persuading someone to do something they don't want to do. It's about creating mutual value about helping customers solve really deep and hard problems. And so once I learned that, I was like, yeah, I'm a problem solver. Okay, I'm actually like more like a salesperson than I thought. And so Toby was actually the person that brought me into sales. He actually introduced me to Rick Dietz, who at the time was pre-sales engineering manager. And I transitioned from support into pre-sales and from pre-sales after two years in that stint, I found myself in client sales. And forever since then, I've been in sales. And so that moment of real reluctance. I mean, I was full on, Toby, I'm never going to be a salesperson. To an understanding on his you know, part, great compassion of understanding my sort of like misunderstanding and what he did to educate me, I'll, I'll never forget. And it changed the course of my career. That's such an amazing story and really kind of put you on that different trajectory like you were talking about. And you know, fast forward, now you're super passionate about developing leaders and, and utilizing mentorship as, as part of that process. Tell us a little bit more, like if you kind of break down, like what does mentorship actually look like in practice? What does it mean from your standpoint? For me, this is something that in many ways is a bit intrinsic for those of the, you know, those folks that know me personally, I, I really love investing in relationships. I, you know, have lots of close friends and we, my wife and I share a passion for creating community. You know, we're really great party hosts, throw lots of parties at our house. And so, you know, I think a, a little bit innate, but at some point as a professional, especially people in leadership. When you graduate from a manager to a leader, it's your job. And mentorship's not an option. It's the, actually how you manifest and create value. At some point in your career, you're gonna amass most of the knowledge you need 
to propel yourself successfully as a professional. And your job as a leader is to reinvest that knowledge in teaching to others. That's how you create institutional value as you go, as you, as you sort of progress through your career, in my opinion. So part, partly it's a bit innate, part my feeling that's my job. Now, in practice, I feel like mentorship for me is, I guess in practice, feels like the following. One, you got to create the time. So if you're going to mentor people, you need to create the time, like literally budget the time. I'm not saying like that hour on that random day, create a routine of time allocation and space because the context and the acknowledgement of commitment to that time to mentorship and improvement and betterment is important. It allows people to prepare. It allows people to change the context of their busy day, come to that time to engage in mentorship. So that deliberateness, important, create the time. I think secondly, uh, clarify the intention so for me, when I think about mentoring people, it's like sometimes they want mentorship and I am not equipped to provide them the type of guidance they need. And so being explicit and clear about what type of mentorship is being sought is really important for me between mentor and mentee. I would love to believe I can wing it in a lot of stuff, but if I'm going to invest in someone, it's because I believe I can intrinsically help them be better at whatever they're seeking to be better at. And so just clarifying the intention of that time together upfront is really important for both parties, just to make sure it's, it's time well spent. And then lastly, I think um, for me, the act of mentoring is never about giving answers. You know, like I'm oftentimes a sounding board where I give an answer. Hey, I think, I think I'm thinking about doing this. Do you think I'm right or wrong? And in that moment, I'm a sounding board. Yes, you're right. Or no, I think you should do it this way. But in mentorship, I feel like, you know, the way I think about the way I show up, I'm not coming to the meeting to be their manager. I'm there to be their mentor. For me, mentorship's about teaching a process. How do I teach them to answer the question they have at the surface, you know, that they're struggling with or they're challenged by? How do I teach them the process of how I or they can effectively unpack the problem and resolve it themselves? So I rarely tell answers. I teach process. That's how I think about mentorship. So, and I really focus on the constructs, the frameworks, the things that I'd like to know if I were in their shoes before I go seek a decision around X. And we talk about the process of whatever it is they're trying to un, uh, try to resolve. And I think that to me is like the moment of mentorship, you know, teach the process, not the answer. That's fantastic, Peter. Going back to creating time. So I'm curious if you do this as part of some of maybe your standing one-on-ones or if this is additional time. I create separate time for mentorship. And I think context matters, especially with reports. So when I'm managing my team, I would like to say like my management style is a bit mentorship, bit leadership, bit, bit management. Management's like when you're, you know, telling people be more directive, leadership is more about inspiration and mentorship is, you know, more about general coaching, as I mentioned. But like, I'd say that um, I think for me, mentorship is something that I do separate from my directs. And I would look at that because again, the context is really important. And so I try not to conflate those. And in general, I do it all the time, uh, honestly. And I, I think I, I, do, I do it bespokely. Uh, I sort of think about it as, and, and for people that have been a part of my leadership team, I, I sort of jokingly say like, you got a lifetime membership to my, you know, my accessibility, sort of like part of the family forever. I do enjoy it all the time. And I, I do create separate discrete space because I, I think it, it's most effective for the individual when it's mentorship space in time. Who kind of owns to ensure that that time happens and that preparation occurs? I mean, that's all the mentee, you know, I, the way, the way I think about it is a mentor for, you know, offers their time 
And, and, and the way I think about it is like, listen, I'm going to make my time available. That's like the first thing I can, I can do to help support an individual, make myself accessible. How we use that time constructively, it's all the mentee. I think the intentionality when I go through a sort of a mentee-mentor relationship, when I offer my time to someone, I make sure it's clear, like, this is their time. I have no agenda other than to serve their ultimate needs and to be however I can be supportive for them. And so I think the use of that time is on the mentee and they should take advantage of it. And how do you know like when this relationship between the mentor and mentee is working? I'd probably answer it in like a couple different ways. So, so one, just ask them, how's it going? Is this working? Is this even useful? Like, what are you getting out of it? Basically is the, is my advice impacting you in the way in which it, you hoped it to be right? So, you know, like sometimes people just need affirmation. Sometimes people just need to, you know, they're going through real transformation as an individual. And so however it is they're hoping to absorb this time with me or other mentors, you know, I, I literally ask the question, like, is this impacting you in the way that you hoped it would? I think more indirectly, as more of a casual observer, how do I think, you know, like, how do I believe that I can you know, witness the impact of my mentorship? You know, I think a lot of it comes into um, the way in which they reflect on circumstances. Oh, you know, that thing happened where I told you about and I remembered what you said and I did this thing and I had this experience that was different than what I would have done had I not spoken to you, right? So it's like, oh my God, like I was going to fall into that pattern. I remember what we talked about and I did this differently and it totally, totally changed the outcome of this really difficult conversation. And so when you start hearing examples of the application of the thing you talked about and feeling the ownership of it being part of the native response or sort of thought process of the person you're working with, that's like a really wonderful sign of achievement in terms of impact. And I, I really do, in fact, just before this call, I had a, a mentorship session with a former direct and she was... We had talked real quickly. Uh, she, she's got promoted to the big job and she's, uh, you know, now the SVP of sales and running a global team. And we had this like little 20 minute call. I sent a little congratulation call. We had a chat. We talked about the scope of role and what she's done to buy. And so we had a little mentorship session. And, and honestly, in that, in that like 10 minute congratulations slash here's some tips to this call. She's already like quoted and said, yes, when you said that thing, here's what I immediately did at work the next day. And so like, she's one of my favorite all time people that I think I know that she's applying what we talk about and then building on it to make it her, her authentic sort of DNA. It's like part of her thing. And so it's really cool to see. I mean, it's really rewarding for them, for me just to watch people absorb and actually apply what you talk about. That's the best. So Peter, we love stories. We love data, but we also love stories. So I'm curious if you have like a mentorship success story that you can share. Maybe one that came right to the top of your mind when I asked that question. There's a couple stories. And, and I, I don't want to start by like patting myself on the back, but I've had honestly the honor of working with a lot of great people. And certainly my, my belief is that a leader's legacy is essentially the legacy of leaders they leave. And so I, I think that's how I want to be judged as an individual. And so in many ways, you know, I think your CRO, Ryan Longfield is one of those individuals. You know, I met Ryan at LinkedIn. He was, I was uh, hired in uh, as one of the first few sales managers, sales directors there. Ryan was a rep that was 
in our SMB sales team and just absolutely crushing it. And he had done the things I think like that I would hope every rep to do. He, he came in, learned the job. He set the standard. The, you know, what Ryan was doing became the way that much of the sales team sold. And I, I just think led, led by example in a way that was really notable and distinguished and, and really admirable. And I remember, you know, I was hiring my first manager, which is like my first manager and like a, my first like real big job. And I'll, I'll never forget that the interview process and, and I remember the whiteboard moment and we're talking about what he would do. It's sort of like a real, real time interview in terms of like, you know, his like 90 day plan We're drawing boxes and a whiteboard and he's, and he just ends it with like, Hey, I, I just wanted to let you know, if you give me this job, I assure you, I'm going to, you're going to get 110% from me. You, you won't regret it. You know, it's one of those moments and it was super sincere. It was not disingenuous. And there was, you know, this, this intangible yet tangible difference in Ryan. So he had already distinguished himself as a leader by example in the team. And he had the drive and the integrity and the people centricity that I personally look for in leaders. And so therefore I knew he had great potential. And so he had raw skill, great potential. And I think, you know, Ryan's a great story where I saw that early. It's evident when you, when you see someone of certain balance of both skill and potential, and you can see the untapped or uncapped potential in someone, which I think I'd put Ryan in and to see his actual trajectory, it's been cool to see. And Ryan was part of a leadership team that I've had like that time. It was like some of our fondest memories It's probably one of the best teams I've managed in terms of cohesiveness, because I think it much like Ryan, there was tremendous skill and potential in ebb and flow in my leadership team. Then it was a really exciting time to be together. But Ryan, I think has done incredible work in his legacy at LinkedIn. And then of course at Gong, uh, super proud of him. And I'm proud to have had a chance to work with him for four years, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's one of the big time success stories and I'm really, I really smile upon. I love that. I'm sure he's going to listen to the full interview, but I will make sure that he catches that part for sure. The impact of mentorship has a ripple effect that goes beyond the one-to-one -one relationship. When we take a step back, reflecting on the experiences we are facing, the power of connection anchors us and the data backs that up. 87% of mentors and mentees feel empowered by their mentor relationships and have developed greater confidence. This comes from research conducted by Wharton, pointing to the strong need for these types of relationships. It also cites that both mentees and mentors are promoted five to six times more than employees without mentors. According to the same research, 71% of Fortune 500 companies offer mentorship programs. Wondering why? Because it provides an effective way to share knowledge with new hires, promotes diversity and inclusion, and increases employee retention. I imagine folks who are listening might be thinking, okay, how can I level up my mentorship skills, right? What can I do to get better and to put some of these things in practice? So do you have any advice on what folks can do? What can they do to become a more effective mentor? I'm sure your audience of listeners is quite varied in terms of who they are and what sort of like role they have, et cetera. Well, one, I, I would say irrespective of your position. Right. You can be an SDR, you can be an AE, you can be first time professional. Uh, there's always opportunities to mentor. And so I don't think it's a it's a it's a it's a process that is 
dependent on your position or authority. So one, just want to like call that out. Two, I think of it, I'll, I'll give two answers. One, one's like more of the IC perspective because I get, a, I get the question a lot like, hey, I'm, in, I'm not a manager, I'm an individual contributor. Like, I want to be a manager though one day. Like, how do I develop the skills to, to get to a place of positional authority to do so? And, uh, you know, the, the advice I, I, I'll, say, I'll share here is the same, which is like, there's no better position to be in than one of the rep because you can lead by example. And when you lead by example, what that really means is you've set a standard that is admirable, that, that's, that's replicable, that, that, is, that is like if your playbook, if your process becomes the process, if it becomes the standard, you're leading by example. And if, if, you, if you basically do your job well and are exceptional at what you do, and it becomes the standard, you're leading by example and therefore passive influence. And to then build on that as active influence, meaning like you can teach the thing that you've unlock that pitch that sort of you got from marketing and it's like right there, but you tweak this one slide to reframe the constructive tension between you and prospect. And that's been the difference maker between you making your quarter and not. And you believe that can be something that can be replicable to more like that to me is like your platform as a leader, by example, as a rep to mentor others. So when your way becomes the way, that's a form of mentorship that you're aspiring as an IC and you have all the power in your control to do so. And so be great at your craft, do something that can be replicated and be very open to sharing. Be that collaborative partner to like take your little tips and tricks that you've sort of nurtured and like share it broadly. That to me is like a no brainer. So that's for all you ICs out there. If you're not doing that, that's like first step. As a manager and as a, as a positional leader, someone who's sort of like theoretically in a position of authority, I guess, to manage and mentor people. I think it is about deciding to create the time, block your time, and then go seek out ways to do so. So for example, you know, one of the things that I've um, decided to do just like in general is, is anytime there's opportunities to mentor like young and emerging professionals, I choose to do so. So in my past life, in my current life, we have different recruiting programs. We're taking people from different backgrounds and frankly have no technical skill or sales skills. And we're recruiting them in a way that you know, arms them with like the technology they're coming from underprivileged backgrounds, et cetera. Just don't have the resources that, that many of us had to, to, to be in our jobs. I, I, I've taken the time to, to mentor some of these individuals because I find it rewarding. That's, that's how I've chosen to spend my time. And so just creating the time and then go seeking it out. And I think that for me has been rewarding. I don't do it all the time, but when I do have time, I'm always up for it. And then honestly, reactively, I did a podcast a couple months ago. It's the first one I ever did. And uh, some guy from Singapore reached out to me over LinkedIn saying, I listen to your podcast. Like, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And I had a really wonderful, you know, 40 minute conversation with this individual in Singapore. And so uh, for me, there's like a allocation of time in my head that I like to just freely to give to people who are interested. And so basically I, I say yes to the inbound and I seek outbound time from time to time when I have a little bit more space and I take deliberate individuals like you know young and emerging professionals as an example i think like sometimes folks are like sitting and waiting like oh somebody's going to come to me and like ask me to be their mentor one day and it doesn't have to be like that like you just said like you're really proactively will find those opportunities where you can help somebody here's how i think about it which is even the objectification of mentor mentee i those are words i never even use in my head 
I'm just looking to hook people up and invest in them because I find joy in it. And so I think there is for me and I think for others seeking to be mentors, there has to be some intrinsic joy there. I think that there's all shades of gray in terms of how, how mentorship happens. And so I think finding your authentic way by which you want to mentor people in the, not the big M formal way, programmatic way, but the little M where you can just invest the time in others because you have something special to offer someone. And I think just, just choosing to find that time and to like tap into that thing that you believe can be valuable to others. If that's something that, that you enjoy, then yeah, I think be proactive in doing it. And I think that, you know, for me, I, I just love doing it. I'll always offer my time. It's, it's one of my joys of sales management and leadership. You know, at the end of the day, you know, while sales is a technical craft, don't get me wrong, there's real skills here. A lot of the skill of the role is about the investment in the people. Like productivity is a function of course skill set, but it's also like, you know, I call that like the, the, there's like the head part of sales, like the technicality of sales and there's the heart. And you can get tons of productivity and joy and an and outcome from a sales team by how you manage, you know, the balance of head and heart in a sales organization. And so for me, the heart part is like investing in the people, you know, that's the fun stuff. And so um, I, I guess, you know, what I would encourage you all to do for those listeners is tap into the things that, you know, you find uniquely sort of enjoyable and go seek out a way to share that with someone else. That's, that's mentorship, frankly. And one line, you got it right there, right there. So Peter, we ask every single guest that joins us on Reveal the same question. And how would you describe sales in one word? One word, that's really hard. <laughs> sales in one word, wow. Um, compassion? That's a good one, that's a like good it. one, yeah. Based on today's topic, that, that's very fitting. I'll yeah. definitely say well, you know, and I, I use that word deliberately because I really do think great sales is about solving problems and understanding the problem from the perspective of the customer. And to really be effective at what you do, you really need to understand the nature of the problem from their perspective. And I think that's what I certainly try to practice as a, as a practitioner within the profession of sales. It's really never about me. It's about them and understanding them from their, from their vantage point. And I think if you can really unlock that as the way by which you engage customers and prospects, I think it just it makes the sales process invaluable to your customer. I think taking a, a disposition of compassion is really, for me, a great starting place. And it is like at the core what I'd like it to feel like. Every week, we bring you a micro action something to think about, or an action you can put into play today. Peter did an amazing job breaking down mentorship and sharing the right way to think about it from both perspectives. If you'd like to become more intentional about creating a mentor relationship, here are three steps to take for proactively seeking out opportunities to mentor. One, what is that one thing you're uniquely good at? Hint, it's what you get compliments on. It's what comes easy for you. It's usually what you've mastered. Two, out of the list you made, either in your head or on paper, which of these things do you enjoy doing the most? And third, who in your circle of influence would benefit from spending some time with you? And if you don't know, think about who asks you questions the most, or who you can tell is a high performer and hungry to learn. I guarantee there's a person you can impact with your time, and they're right in front of you. 
Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.